Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Okay, enter trumpets. Here's Dr. History. That was, that was a sad trumpet. Uh, listen, you pull the money out of your pocket and pay for it then. All right. Okay. How you doing today, Zeb? Oh, I don't know if I should ask. Not probably healthy to ask me. Okay, all right. No, no, well, I'm doing very well considering how bad I was yesterday, but uh, how are you? I'm doing great. Good. Doing good. good. Nice day out there today. Beautiful and, day. So it is. Okay. What are we well, going to talk about today? All right. We're going to talk about a stagecoach driver. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, of all the stagecoach drivers who helped make the West truly wild, a guy by the name of Charlie Parkhurst. Now, I don't know if you've ever even heard of this guy. I don't think I have. Okay. He was kind of the most bizarre and fascinating. Uh, he was a rugged individual. He stood about five foot seven, so not short, but not tall either. But uh, he had kind of a weathered face and had one blue-gray eye. Okay. One. One. Where was the, the other one? Uh, the other one, he lost <laughs> oh, while he was shooing an ornery horse. Oh, okay. Now, I don't know how he got his eye put out by an ornery horse that he's getting show, uh, shod, but huh. whatever. It can happen. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, so he covered that with a black patch. Okay. So you got this picture. Here's a one-eyed pirate-looking guy. Driving the stage Driving the stage Okay. Okay. His tobacco-stained chin and lips were uh, apparent, but he was beardless. Never grow, never grew a beard. You know, which leads one to think that maybe he drove alone because riding shotgun, if the wind's coming out of the west, that guy's going to wear all the tobacco. <laughs> he could be. You know, uh, and the, the, it says that he spoke in a whiskey tenor voice. Oh. Now, I can only imagine that I know that tenor means a little bit higher. Yeah. That's a whiskey tenor, I don't know. He drank a lot. He must have done. So anyway, he was not uh, himself a loud person or boisterous, you know. Uh, he didn't uh, tell a lot of lengthy stories, but his legend grew as his passengers and acquaintances told and retold these hair-raising stories about the exploits of One-Eyed Charlie. one One-Eyed Charlie. Well, what did Charlie do? Well, we're going to get to that. (laughs) So, Charlie's stage run took him to a rickety bridge one time over what is called the Tulumne River. And once during a heavy rainstorm, he found the bridge was swaying in the swirling torrent of this rain-swollen river. Now, this this bridge had to be crossed by the stagecoach. Yes, yes, with six horses. Okay. Now, other drivers would have turned back at the site, but Charlie... Cracked his whip, urged his six horses forward. He was halfway across when the rotting timbers creaked, popped, and collapsed. Charlie laid the whip to his team, and they lunged forward, and they barely reached the other side before the bridge tore loose and was swept down by the floodwaters. What about, excuse me, the people inside the coach? Now, first of all, I would like to say that I'm jumping. Okay. Well, the, the the story says his passengers were okay. They weren't hurt, but it says some of them fainted from fright. What a laundry bill they had. <laughs> you know, I uh, yeah, I'd have been looking to jump. Oh, baby. Anyway. Yeah. Now, the robbers, the road agents, they soon learned that they couldn't count on robbing any stage that Charlie, one-eyed Charlie drove. Uh, not if they valued their lives. Because shortly after Charlie began driving the Sierra stage routes, he was held up by a highwayman robber named, nicknamed Sugarfoot. Sh- okay. There was a TV series named after him. 
Remember that? Yeah, I thought it was Sugar something. No, Sugarfoot. Okay. And the star was Will Hutchins back in 1963. Okay. Well, this guy was called Sugarfoot because he wore gunny sacks over his huge bare feet for whatever reason I don't know. And so for that, they called him Sugarfoot? Sugarfoot. Anyway, he had a shot-off shotgun, and he uh, uh, had with him, and uh, he poked it at Charlie, and uh, she, he was, Charlie was mad as heck, and... Uh, mad as heck. Mad as heck, that's... <laughs> Uh, And that's how he swore. Mad as heck. heck. (laughs) And Charlie said, next time, I'm going to be ready for you. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't it make a lot of sense? We talked about this in the past. These robbers, they would step out in front of a train, and then they would say, stop the train. I'm going to rob you. Step on the tracks in front of a train. Well, the same is true for these guys. Okay, in the stage well, coach. we're going to get to that. Oh, okay, okay, so I'm worried. Anyway, so uh, one-eyed Charlie said, "Next time, I'll be ready for you," yeah. and he meant business. Uh-huh. Well, from then on, he carried a six-shooter, and on his next run-in with Sugarfoot, about a year later, Charlie stampeded the coach horses toward the thieves, drew his pistol killed Sugarfoot, and gave two other of the gang members some bullet wounds uh, to in memory of their uh, robbery. So, so Charlie basically endangered his passengers with a liberal thought of today and jumped the stagecoach off the trail and shot the bad guys. Well, I... It doesn't say he jumped off the trail. I think he was right. I think they were right in the middle of the road. I think Charlie should run for president. <laughs> anyway, there was no robbery. So and uh, Sugarfoot was now uh, pushing up daisies. He, his mudfoot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now let's go back a little bit. Details of Charlie's early years are a little sketchy, which uh-huh. a lot of them were. Okay. Uh, Eastern born, he ran away from a Massachusetts orphanage when he was still a youngster and wound up in a place called Worcester, and there he found wake work as a stable boy for a guy named Ebenezer Balch. And he trained him to drive horse teams, buggies, coaches, and when Balch moved his operation to a hotel and livery stable in Providence, Rhode Island, young Charlie went along with him. He had no family, so orphan. Uh, And there he met a guy named Frank Stevens and Jim Birch. Now, they established a California stage line from San Francisco. So they wired Charlie an invitation to come west uh, for a paying job and plenty of action. And so Charlie got on a ship and went down to Panama and got off the ship there, you know, which a lot of these people did. And then they would cross Panama and try to catch a ship coming up the the west coast wow that, that took a, about three months oh yeah it? it depends on you know we've talked about that before sometimes they were there for a long time before yeah. another ship came up a- and while he was there he wrote that song in a big panama with a purple uh, yeah, hat band he did yeah <laughs> yeah that was that tenor voice <laughs> yeah so anyway um so he began driving for these guys out there on the west coast now in one accident charlie stage capsized and left him with quote my sides busted in now, Must have a, broke his ribs. And that's what I'm going to guess. Yeah. And, you know, you've had busted ribs, so have I. And so it's, many oh, times. It's painful. It hurts. So, even so, Charlie took great pride in the fact that not one passenger on that trip or on any of his runs was ever injured. Nobody. Really? So He drug that stage upside down, but nobody got Nobody injured. got hurt. You know, Charlie was known to gamble a little, uh, chew a little tobacco, and take a drink in a saloon with his buddies. Yeah. Uh, but he was very critical of drivers who would drink on duty did not 
uh, appreciate that. And in fact, said the smash up smash ups were generally due to whiskey or bad driving. I see. Now, also, and you're going to appreciate this. He referred to his horses as his beauties, and he loved his horses yep. obsessively. And you and I both know cowboys. I mean, you get a good horse, and I mean, it's just take it, care of. Oh them. yeah, and nobody dared mistreat a horse in his presence yep. because Charlie was known to more than hold his own in a fight. So he okay. was a little guy, but tough. Yeah, five seven. You know. Yeah. But, but despite the the tales of Charlie's uh, uh, exciting driving, uh, despite his uh, he, it says flamboyant attire, so he must have dressed kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, his repertoire of uh, curses, which are darn and heck, you know. Yeah, darn heck. Yeah, and, son of a gun. And, you know his friendliness uh, away from the coach. Charlie was actually kind of a loner. Really? He had certain eccentricities. Uh, he confided in no one, and he preferred to bed down in the stable All of a with sudden, his I'm horses. I'm starting to realize where you're headed here. Don't even go there yet, Okay. okay. Right. He bedded down in the stable with his horses, He and he loved children. And for those at each stop, he'd bring gifts and stuff to give to these kids. Charlie never bathed in public in a bathhouse. Only privately or in a creek, out of sight. He never displayed uh, much interest in chasing women, and he was known to take charitable actions on their behalf. He once bought a widow's house when the sheriff foreclosed on it, then gave it back to her. Really? Yeah. So Charlie was a very uh, considerate, kind person. I think I know where you're going. (laughs) He eventually drove all the main CR routes from Placerville to Virginia City, as well as the Rough and Ready to Sacramento and Stockton to Mariposa and all points in between. He later took the runs from Oakland and San Francisco to San Jose and on down to Monterey. So he covered a lot of territory in that California area. Well, rheumatism forced him to stop driving. He settled near Santa Cruz, opened a stage stop on the route to Watsonville. In 1867, he became a bona fide citizen by registering to vote. The record for November 3rd, 1868 listed him as Parkhurst, Charles, age 55, occupation, farmer, native, New Hampshire. Right. Okay? Yeah. Charlie's rheumatism worsened with his advancing age, and then he developed cancer of the tongue. Uh, oh, spent she, his fine. Well, shoot a lot of tobacco. Yeah, yeah. spit it on the on yeah. the shotgun guard. So he spent his final years in a cabin near Watsonville, and refused medical help by threatening to blow the head off any doctor who came near. Okay, kind well, of a rough bedside man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody'd want to make a house call there. No, no. Anyway, when death death came to Charlie on December twenty eighth, eighteen seventy nine, I know where you're. It going. revealed the truth behind his masquerade. A doctor who examined the body. Then the news was that Charlie was a woman, and you saw that coming. I saw it. It was like looming on the horizon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and you can imagine a reputation, okay? And this disclosure sent kind of a shockwave through California, because yeah. Charlie had been all over the West. So uh, Charlie really was Charlene. Well, uh, it's down here. I'll get to it. Oh, Charlotte, okay. actually. Oh. Anyway, the newspapers picked up the story, and as they often do, they kind of embellished it with some of the outlandish uh, uh speculation yeah, yeah but the reactions of charlie's friends and acquaintances went from 
stupefied to anger to puzzlement to you know if you're a friend of charlie you think what the heck charlie you know you were my friend yeah you know, i drank with you i yeah spit and chewed well, with there's you. a lot of things they well never mind anyway so it appears that charlotte a young woman left on her own in a male-dominated society started her masquerade as a way to earn a decent living and then became either accustomed to it or maybe she was trapped in it because again uh had a reputation so one would think that perhaps one would find out prior to this i don't know and uh, i've got another story we're going to get to because we've got time all right anyway charlie charlie's legacy was a mystery and remains so to this day charlie's fellow lodge members so greatly respected quote him that they insisted burial take place in the odd fellow cemetery in watson odd fellows that's a good way to put it (laughs) that is isn't it? (laughs) anyway fresh flowers were often left on the gravesite by those who revere the memory of the west's most unusual history maker and get this zeb the first registered woman voter in the united states Charlie. Char- uh, Charlotte. Charlotte. Charlotte, pardon me. First, yeah. so this is a historical day today. Oh, it is. That- We're celebrating Charlotte, Charlie, Charlene. Yeah. Okay. Now what are we going to talk okay, about? We- oh, wait a minute. i tell you what. Oh, go ahead. I'll do that commercial Do we have later. time? Yeah, go ahead. we got exactly eight minutes. Okay, I think we can get through this okay. one. Okay, here we go. Now, this is Idaho history. Okay. All right? All right. Uh, and a lot of it's related to mining. You know, the Bunker Hill, the Vipont, uh, a lot of legends, a lot of stories came out of here. Uh, but one of them was a guy named John Monahan. John Monahan. John. Okay. Why are you snickering? I'm not. You're not. I'm not. You are too. You're lying. You're lying. You're lying. You're okay. snickering. All right, Joe. We're going to call him Joe. Came to Ruby City in Hawaii area, and the country was uh, it was about 1863, and yeah, Joe was kind of a small person. Here we go. <laughs> a little bit of a high-pitched voice. Oh, boy. And a strange little man, small. <laughs> Why are you doing this on this program? Well, we just, we've gone down this road, and we just won't finish it, right? We're at the end of the trail. We're at the end of the trail. So, anyway, uh, his mannerism and build were a little different, uh, but his accomplishments were not. Little Joe, as he was known, was a good cowboy. He could handle a lariat, a rifle, and a gun with the best of them. Uh, he'd ridden the range with the toughest of the cowboys in right here in Oregon and Idaho. And when he first came to Ruby City, he tried a bit of placer mining, uh, soon gave it up, and homesteaded some land uh, in this area, raced Crops, chickens, hogs, cattle. Yeah. Anyway, John or Joe, uh, stri- yeah, whatever. Strictly a loner, kind of became an enigma to the community. Enigma. Enigma. That's good. The rip roaring town when the cowpokes and the cowpokes and the miners got together and you the got saloons. through enigma, but you couldn't say cowpokes. <laughs> cowpokes. Anyway. So little Joe was conspicuous because of his absence. I see. And when others were getting drunk and causing disturbance, Monahan was often in his cabin reading by lantern light. Gee, I wonder what's going to happen. Yeah. So little Joe kind of shunned the social practices of the time, cared even less about his physical appearance, always wearing discarded clothes, wore several sizes too big for him, hmm. uh, shoes that were kept in place by putting gunny sack rags in them because they were always too big for him. 
because that's all he could find to buy or borrow. Uh, anyway, so he's kind of an interesting sight to behold. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So little Joe was a hard worker. He took on any and all jobs that came along. He wrangled sheep during shearing time, drove herds uh, from one old range to another, filled in star, uh, spare time by uh, cowboying, uh, buckarooing, all that stuff. He was civic-minded, served in capacities. Uh, in 1898, the directory, in a, along with 21 other citizens, listed him as being a juror. And back then, I think you had to be a man to be a juror. So, anyway, I know we're getting low on time, so I'm gonna, we're about done. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to hear the end of this. Well, with all this activity, very little was known about this little man, although uh, friendly, able to swap a story with the best of them. He had no personal friends. Kept to himself. Uh, no one knew about his family background. But the postmaster at Rockville, Idaho, recalled that Monaghan periodically sent money to an address in New York City. Mm-hmm. Okay, New York City. New York City. So in winter 1903, a lot of the old timers in the Waiheke area uh, say that the snows came early, cold. The thermometer dropped to record lows. A lot of cattle perished in the fields, frozen stiff while standing. And we've talked about that before. But anyway, so it's December of that year, and Joe attempted to move his cattle to the Boise River for winter pasture. Mm -hmm. Well, he never made it. He got to a place called the Malloy Ranch, racked with fever, came down with pneumonia, and Mrs. Malloy cared for Joe the best she could. And in the first week of the new year... Joe died. Oh, boy. And the, the I mo- bet you there was an amazing discovery. Well, the Malloy boys took the cattle on to winter pasture in the Boise Valley. Now, being there's no funeral parlor in the area, Mrs. Malloy was helping prepare little Joe for a funeral. Oh, uh, yeah. And it was not little Joe. Josephine. It was Johanna. Jo- Johanna. I see. Revealed that her reality, in reality, her name was Johanna Monahan. Her parents had died and she'd been adopted and raised uh, by Mrs. Catherine Walters from Buffalo, New York. So when she was 14, Johanna left home, went west, assumed the identity of man, and while playing the role of little Joe, she wrote regularly to her adopted mother. And so that obviously was where she was sending money back to New York City. And that's the story of Charlie Parkhurst and little Joe. The Wrangler. The Wrangler. But, but you know, the, uh, I was thinking about this, too. In the Civil War, there were several women that uh, uh, pretended to be men in the Civil War. And one, I can't remember her name, but she actually, they found out she was a woman, so they used her as a spy. Yeah. So she would dress as a woman yeah. and go in and get information and then come back out. Uh, so... You know, this happened a number of times throughout the West. You know, I want to say this as delicately as possible, but you know me. Uh, They must not have been attractive. You know, I don't have any pictures. I have a And probably that's good. Now, I do have a drawing. Oh, this ought to be sensational. Let me show you this drawing. Drawing. It says a widely published illustration of Charlie Parker. Okay. See that? I mean, that's just a like a pencil uh, drawing, and it shows one eye kind of not so good. Yeah. So that's why one-eyed Charlie. And, you know, really, when you look at that drawing, you do see a lot of feminine qualities. Yeah, you really do. I mean, yeah. you see long hair, but, yeah. you know, no beard, which but was the, unusual. But that page is all stained with tobacco. <laughs> not for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, I'm sure glad you brought these stories up. Well, I I knew I had to get through them one way or another someday. Oh, interesting. Charlie Parkhurst and Little Joe. Little Joe.
Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.